we remember that the grave is empty because Jesus is alive. Amen. So before you sit down, let me teach you something. I do this every single year because there's some of you who are new to faith, you're new to church, new to redemption, or maybe you just forgot. But there is a Christian tradition all across the world. There are Christians in churches right now, and we all do this same thing. It's like a family tradition. Like on holidays, you get the family together, you have your family traditions. Well, here is the family tradition of the church. I say, he is risen, and then you respond by saying? He is risen You guys are so great. All right, so we're gonna try it all together, all right? He is risen. He is risen Come on, let's say it. He is risen. He is risen Say it like you believe it. He is risen. He is risen Amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Praise the Lord. Well, if you are a guest here, welcome to Redemption. My name is Byron. I get the honor to be able to serve here as the lead pastor. When you walked in, you should have gotten like a connect card. Me and my wife, we have a little booth set up outside. We would love to be able to to meet you, shake your hand, get to learn your name and to hear a little bit about your story. So come fill this out. Meet me and my wife, Ashley, at the connect booth outside. That sounds weird. The pastor's like, meet me outside, right? But I would love to be able to meet you outside and greet you and get to know you a little bit more. Today is Easter Sunday. So excited. Um, I was wrestling all week trying to figure out what to preach this week. And so I just, I just settled on the resurrection. I hope that's okay with you guys. We're going to talk about Jesus' resurrection. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Next week, we're actually starting a brand new series, Walking Verse by verse through the book of Acts. It's going to take us about 80 weeks as a church to walk through this. This is how we preach the Bible here at Redemption. We just pick a book, study the book. We get everything we can out of the book, however long it takes. And then we close that book and we open up another book. And next week, we're opening up the book of Acts. And we're going to be in Acts all the way until we move into our brand new building sometime next year. Y'all excited? We got four services. We need a bigger building. Amen. And so we're going to start Acts next week, but I wanted to start off this week with a sermon called, Why Do Christians Believe in Jesus? And we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. I remember several years ago, about 17 actually, whenever I first became a Christian, I was waiting tables at a restaurant and I was working with some of my friends and they were shocked that I actually became a Christian. They're like, you, a Christian? Like, what happened? How did that, how did that story happen, right? How did I go from an agnostic, punk rock, party kid, strung out on drugs, making fun of people who believed in God to a spirit-filled, Bible-believing worshiper of God? That just, make it make sense to me. How did that happen? And so I started to tell them my testimony. And to be honest, There was a couple of reasons on why I became a Christian. It started off for me because I experienced God. 
I, I felt him. It started with me for feelings. Like I remember I didn't want to go to church, but there was a cute girl. She invited me. That's why some of you guys are here today because a cute girl invited you. I get it. That's where I started off too. And I thought, well, maybe if I go to church with her one time, she'll forget about it. And then we never have to go again. Well, that Sunday I gave my life to Jesus and I felt his power and his presence. Listen, I wasn't looking for Jesus. He was looking for me, right? And I met Jesus and my life began to change. It started off for me with feelings, but how many of you know you cannot build a relationship off of feelings? That's why some of you are here today because your last relationship failed because it was built off of feelings and you're looking for something a little bit more real. Like we live in a society where everybody is being dictated by their feelings and that's why our society is falling apart, amen? Because our feelings are not good enough to be able to build our life upon. And so eventually, when you come to Christ, you first get the goosebumps and you get the Holy Ghost like tingles and the spirit fingers, you know? But that can only sustain you for so long until you need an anchor for your soul. And so I did this thing. I started reading books and blogs and listening to podcasts. And I got into something known as apologetics. And as I started studying the, the beliefs of Christianity, here's what I realized is that my, my feelings of Christ were established on a fact, which is the resurrection. That the resurrection is a real historical verifiable fact, and it is that fact in which Christianity is built upon. It is the evidence of an event that allows us to have the experiences that we all feel. So I started sharing with him why I believe in Jesus, and what I want to do for the time that we have together is I want to give you five reasons why I believe in Jesus out of Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bibles, open up with me, and we're going to read it. Here's what it says in the first book. Oh, Theophilus. Acts is actually the second part of another book. It's the sequel. And the first book that the author wrote was a book called Luke. So can anybody take a guess who the author of Acts is? <laughs> Say it with some confidence. So we got one guy in the back. He knows. Everybody else is like, this is like a trick question, right? <laughs> right? Luke is the author of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. And so next week, we're gonna dive into Acts. It's gonna be amazing. We'll spend more time about that then. Oh, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse three is where we're gonna spend the preponderance of our time today. He presented himself, what's the word? Because he is risen. Just seeing if you're paying attention to them after his sufferings, that's his death, burial, resurrection, by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Before we dive into my list of reasons why I'm a Christian, I need to start off by saying that there are people today who they'll come along and they'll say that Christianity is all a myth. It's a bunch of folklores or fairy tale, that maybe it's a good story that was invented to teach our kids some morals and values and there's other religions out there, and so you can pick and choose which one you want to believe in because what's true for you does not necessarily mean that it's also true for another. And here's what I would say to refute that 
I would say this, is that Christianity is not built solely upon our human experiences. Yes, we believe in God, we feel God, we understand his presence of God, we've seen miracles and healings, and yes, there are a human experience that is attached with it, but rather it is an event that allows us to have our experiences. Listen, if you're taking notes, write this down. The resurrection is a fact that establishes our faith. Like our faith as Christians is not built upon our feelings, but is built upon a fact. And then our feelings follow the fact which gives us our faith. Christianity is about an event. And it is that event that establishes our experiences because the resurrection is a fact that establishes our faith. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, I got two goals of this sermon. The first sermon is this, is if you are a Christian, my hope and prayer for this sermon is that it will encourage you. It will put confidence inside of you that you have made the best decision of your life to worship and to follow after Jesus. My first goal is to encourage the Christians. My second goal is to challenge the not yet Christians. I said not yet, because I'm gonna get you. <laughs> That's why your friends brought you here today. You're like, are they trying to convert me? Yes, you're at church. That's what we do. <laughs> because I want you to really seriously investigate the claims that Jesus makes. I want you to investigate this resurrection. And I want you to lean in and listen. And I want you to, to wrestle with what the Bible and archaeology and historical evidence presents. Because Christianity is not just about feelings or faith, but it is a fact that establishes the faith in which we have. Here's what Luke writes. He says, that he began to teach about the words and the works of Jesus. Like I recognize there's a lot of people in here, like when it comes to Jesus, you may say he's a good person who did some good things. He was a good moral teacher. We tell our kids so that way they can grow up and model their lives after him. People like the, the works of Jesus. They're like, Jesus was a great guy. He just hung out with like 12 dudes all the time and they all shared an apartment. Like that's what, that's my college experience. Anybody else? It sounds like when I went to college and, and I love the works where he's hanging out with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. For some of you, that also sounds like your college experience. <laughs> and he water skied without a boat. I want to do that next weekend. Let me try it. Or, or maybe when he fed 5,000 with a little boy's Lunchable. That was incredible. They like the works of Jesus. Some people, they like the words of Jesus. They're like, Jesus said some really inspiring things. Like when Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. That's awesome. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule, like the words and works of Jesus are good. But listen, that's not the reason that Jesus came. Jesus came so that we might worship him. It's not just about the words and the works. The question is, do you worship him? See, as a Christian, I don't just admire Jesus. I worship Jesus. I don't just respect Jesus. I revere Jesus. I don't just believe in Jesus. I love Jesus and I give my life to Jesus. I build my life on him. My marriage is formed by Jesus. The way I parent is raised by Jesus. The way I spend my money is all centered upon Jesus. My eternity is based upon Jesus. Everything. I do is prioritized around Jesus because I believe in Jesus, love Jesus, give my life to Jesus, and I worship Jesus. Why would I do such a thing? 
Well, it's because I cannot get away from this one fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I want to give you today five reasons why I believe in Jesus. It says here in Acts chapter one that after his suffering, he presented himself with many proofs. So I'm gonna give you some proof about the resurrection, some evidence about the resurrection that determines the experience that we have as Christians. I'm gonna give you five reasons. Now, here's what's awesome. You don't need five reasons. You only need one. But I get paid by the point and it's Easter. And so I'm gonna give you five Five reasons. So take whichever one you like the most and then take the rest and share them with a friend. The first reason that I believe in Jesus is because Jesus really lived. Listen, it's very popular today to claim that Jesus was not a real person. That's like the game of telephone. Somebody told somebody who told somebody who told their auntie and their neighbor. And all of a sudden, here we are 2,000 years later and we got Jesus. To say Jesus was never a, a real person. I want you to know something, that there is no academic or historian that would agree with you. Because historically, both in the Bible and outside of the Bible, there is evidence of a real Jesus. You say, but I, that's not what I read when I was doing my research. Okay, where did you do your research at? YouTube University? <laughs> Twitter Junior College? Is that, is that where you get like doing research on the internet? It's like me cooking a Pop-Tart and saying I'm a pastry chef. It's, it just doesn't count because there is historical verifiable facts about a real Jesus. Here's, here's from the first century, 37 AD. There was a guy named Josephus Flavius. He was a Jewish historian, non-Christian, hired by Rome to investigate the early expansion of the local church. And so he goes in. In 3785, years after the resurrection of Jesus, to see what's going on, and here's what he writes outside of the Bible. Now, there was at this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. Christianity was illegal, for he's a doer of many wonderful works. What is that? That's miracles. He performed miracles. And Pilate, at the suggestion of principal men among us, he's identifying as a Jewish person seeing the crucifixion of Christ, among us, condone him to death on a cross, historical evidence for the cross, and those who loved him forsake him not. Here's the kicker. He appeared to them alive again on the third day. Documented outside the Bible, historical evidence. Biblical evidence, the eyewitness testimonies of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all have a continuity where they share the same story. Okay, anybody history buffs here in America? Yeah, in Watergate, remember that? 12 of the most powerful people couldn't even keep their story straight for a day, yet alone the disciples keeping it straight for 2,000 years. <laughs> Evidence of the resurrection. And then there's other Romans like Pliny the Younger and Tacitus. And then here's Thomas Arnold, professor of modern history at Oxford University. When I say Oxford University, here's what I want you to think. He's smarter than me, <laughs> right? He's got more degrees than Fahrenheit and letters after his name. And here's what Thomas Arnold writes. He says this, there is no one fact in history of mankind proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort than the fact that Christ rose from the dead. Boom, shakalaka, shazam, bazinga, put it in your pipe and smoke it. Jesus really lived. <laughs> Historical evidence. Number two, Jesus really died. Now I'm gonna give you some medical evidence 
about the resurrection of Jesus. At this point, some people would say that Jesus didn't really die. Maybe they faked his death. Maybe he was just really injured, really bad. And you're sure, maybe, maybe the Romans just thought he was dead. It was, a, it was a big mistake. And that's why people said Jesus died. Now listen, the Romans were experts at war and murder. That's how they built their entire empire was taking over nations and villages, raping and pillaging and taking the children, turning them to slaves and taking the men and turning them into slaves and the women. They would send them off to be able to, to, to have them persecuted and they would conquer and murder entire countries. If anybody knew how to kill somebody, it was the Romans. So don't fall into what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery, thinking that just because we're so much smarter than they are, they must have been dumb, okay? Don't think that because it was just a few years ago, some of y'all thought that a paper mask would prevent you from getting a virus, all right? <laughs> we're not much smarter than they were back then, okay? We still got some things to learn, all right? But when it comes to murder, they knew exactly. So because the Bible just says Jesus is crucified, we don't really understand crucifixion today. So I need to walk you through just a little bit about crucifixion. It happened in four parts. The crucifixion was invented by the Persians, but perfected by the Romans. Originally, they would just impale a person in the middle of the town, and that was it. But the Romans came along and said, hey, um, double it to the next guy. Let's up that. <laughs> and they invented crucifixion. Here's how it works, four, four parts. First part is scourging. They would take a person and in the middle of town, they would stretch them out naked to a whipping post with a flagellum or a cat of nine tails with whip and bone and ball bearings and hooks. And they would beat the person's back over and over again until the flesh was filleted off, exposing the muscles and tendons and nerves and even the bone. And a person rarely survived the scourging because they wouldn't make it to the cross. They would actually just bleed out right there in the middle of town. And the Bible says that Jesus was scourged. But Jesus being a strong, able-bodied man, he was a carpenter for many years and he sustained his spirit because Jesus knew he had to go to the cross. And so he survived through the scourging, but then came the humiliation that they would humiliate and mock the person who would be crucified. They plucked the beard from Jesus' face. They, they beat him. They spit on him. They took a crown of thorns onto his head and wrapped a robe around his shoulders. And they would make you carry your own crossbar as an act of shame openly through the town to the place of your own crucifixion. Jesus survived through the humiliation as well. And it, it led him to the place where Jesus would be crucified. And here's how crucifixion worked. They would take the arms and stretch them to where they would pull the arms out of the sockets and then take railroad spikes, nine-inch railroad spike type nails, drive it through the most painful centers of the human body, through the hands and through the feet. And today we typically see crucifixion through the hands, but archaeology shows that they would have been crucified through the wrists and then actually through the heel because they would have to pull themselves up and the weight of a hand or a foot couldn't contain the weight of a person. So they believe it's through the, through the wrist and through the heel, which only goes to show what the Bible says, the very first prophecy about the future Messiah in Genesis chapter three, 6,000 years before crucifixion was ever invented, that the serpent would bruise his heel, but he would crush his head. And what the enemy meant for evil, God has turned around and he has used it for good. And Jesus would hang upon that cross. And the way that you died was not through the pain of crucifixion, 
but it was a slow agonizing death of asphyxiation. People didn't die from the pain. They actually died by drowning in their own bodily fluids. That as they would hang there with the tears and the the blood and the sweat and the vomit from the pain, they would hang there for days and they would, they would suffer and they would suffocate. And here's what they would have to do. They would have to pull themselves up just to catch a breath and then they would fall back down and they would do this over and over again, agonizing as they asphyxiated on their own bodily fluids. That's how people died through crucifixion, most brutal, painful death in the history of the world. In fact, we have a word, excruciating, which literally means from the cross. It was so bad they had to invent a word to describe it. And then... What we see is that after Jesus dies, because most people would hang there for days, but Jesus was only there for a few hours because Jesus prophesied about this and he says, nobody takes my life from me, but I lay my life down freely. And then he cries out, he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And then he gave up his spirit. Jesus breathed his last and then he died. And so what they did is they took a Roman spear, shoved it through the side of his ribs, puncturing his heart, pulling it out where blood and water flow from the side. Listen, Jesus really died. Jesus really lived. And then medically and archeologically, we know that Jesus actually died. And then some people say, well, that's fine, but um, I, I don't know about that whole part about Jesus being buried. Well, I believe in Jesus because Jesus was, was really buried. This one's amazing. People say, well, maybe the reason why we came up with this empty tomb myth is because they forgot where they buried him. It's kind of like when you go to, the, go, go to HEB and you forgot where you parked your car at. Like, you always still find it, don't you? Like, this is insane because the Bible says that Joseph of Arimathea gave Jesus his tomb. He was a rich man. And so if they were like, well, where's the tomb at? I don't know. Let's just go ask Joe. Like, it's his tomb. He could tell us where it's at. And they would actually place Roman guards outside of the tomb. And they placed Jewish rabbis and teachers of the Pharisees to watch over the tomb because they didn't want anything to happen because Jesus had prophesied on multiple occasions about his resurrection. And so they, they kept watch overnight to make sure that the tomb wasn't messed with. But nobody came to the tomb from the outside because that stone was rolled away from the inside. People say, well, I just don't know if, if Jesus was buried. Maybe they just forgot where they buried him. Like, how many of you have a loved one that you, that you care about that's passed away? Right? I, I'm, I'm the oldest of six. When I was a, a little kid, my, my little brother actually died. And every year at Thanksgiving or any other holiday, all my family would get together and we'd go visit my little brother's grave. I was a child and I knew where my little brother was buried. I mean, we're talking about people who spent years with Jesus. And you think they really don't know where Jesus was buried at? He was buried in a very visible and easy to find place. Well, then you would say, well, how come nobody knows where it's at today? That's a great question. You know why? Because nobody cares because <laughs> he's not there. He didn't need the grave. It's like a three-day Airbnb rental from Joseph of Arimathea. They're just like, here you go, Joseph. Thanks. And rolled up, his, rolled up his clothes to avoid the cleaning feet. There you go, Joseph. Here's the keys. But this really does bring up a fascinating fact. There's a guy named Edwin Yamauchi. And he is, for 50 years, he was a professor of history at the University of Miami. And he studies first century history in the Palestinian region. And he says that during the first century, here, here's what they, they, they discovered, is that there was 50 revolutionaries, 50 
Roman and Jewish revolutionaries in the area. We don't know who their names are, obviously. But here's what, they all have burial sites. Still to this day, there, there's, there's markings about where they were buried. Jesus, the most prolific person who's ever walked the face of this planet, nobody knows where he's buried. You know why? Because nobody needed to care about where the tomb was because Jesus wasn't there. Like if you wanted to meet Jesus, you didn't go to the tomb, you went to town because Jesus was hanging out there for 40 days, evidencing with many convincing proofs. This is fascinating. Out of the four major world religions, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, and Judaism, three of the four all have their founders' tombs enshrined. So we know where Abraham is buried. He's buried in Hebron. And a big part of Judaism is, is, is worshiping in a holy place. That's why in the Old Testament, it's really focused on the temple. We know where Abraham is buried. The Buddha, we, we know where we believe that the bones of the Buddha are buried. And there's a massive temple where people go and they, they, they gather there. And, and every year is, uh, in Islam, you have to make a pilgrimage to Medina. That's where the Muhammad is buried at. There was another king that lived not too long ago. His name was Elvis. We know where he's buried at too. He's buried in Graceland. There you go, all the rednecks make else pilgrimage there every year too. But there's another king named Jesus and nobody knows where he's buried at. You know why? Because as Christians, we don't worship at a place. We worship a person. It's one of the things that separates Christianity from every other religion, philosophy, or ideology, that it is not about what we do, but it's about what Christ has done. It's not about what we earn, but it's about what Christ has given to us. We don't worship a place. We worship a person, and his name is Jesus, and Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen. I believe in Jesus because he lived, because he died, because he was buried. Number four, I believe in Jesus because I believe that he really resurrected. Look at this next verse, at verse one. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus. That's a person's real name. In Luke chapter one, verses one, he says, most excellent Theophilus. What he is, the only time that phrasing is ever used elsewhere in the Bible is when Luke is writing about Felix and Festus at the end of the book of Acts, and they were Roman governors, which means that Theophilus most likely was a high-ranking Roman official, not Christian, not Jewish. Now, if you're going to make something up, you have to be intellectually honest. Like, seriously, think about this for a sec. If you're going to make something up, why would you use real people's names? Like, if I'm going to make something up, I would make people up. And then I would say, oh, this person, because if it wasn't true, you could just go ask, hey, Theo, did you say this? I never said that. Oh, okay. Christianity is false. Everybody go home. It's not real. But they couldn't disprove it. Why? Because the Bible gives us real names of real people who met a real Jesus, who really resurrected. It talks about Luke. Luke was a scholar. He was a, he was a physician. He was a doctor. And he was hired to investigate the growth of the church and the claims of the resurrection. And he comes away by saying, mm, the resurrection is real. Like if the Bible wanted to make something up, it doesn't use real names of real people. It would just invent false stories like all the other religions and, and stories that we believe. But yet Christianity is real people because they experienced the resurrection. This one's fascinating. Here, here's, here, you know who the first people at the empty tomb was? Women. So don't give in to this 21st century nonsense where Christianity is so oppressive towards women. Get over that stuff. 
because the first person who ever witnessed the resurrection of Jesus was a woman. So, well, why is that? Well, because women at that time, they were not able to give eyewitness testimonies. They were not credible and they would not hold up in court. They couldn't even own property. But yet the Bible says the first person to see the resurrected Jesus was a woman. And not just any woman, a woman named Mary Magdalene who had seven demons cast out of her. Like that's not the person you wanna put up on the pedestal on that day, right? But that's exactly what the Bible does. Here's the reason why. Because the Bible doesn't have to exaggerate. It doesn't have to embellish the truth because the truth is the truth and it's able to stand on its own. And the truth is that women were the first eyewitnesses. But then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, and he, he talks about Jesus appeared to the disciples and then to his brothers and then to 500 other people. Like, like think about it. How many, of you have, how many of you have brothers, right? My brother's in the room right here. Okay, what would it take for you to worship your brother as God? Jesus had two half-brothers, James and Jude. They both go on to write books of the Bible talking about how their big brother Jesus resurrected from the grave. What would it take for you to like worship your brother as God? Like my brother would probably say, I was Satan as a child. <laughs> so many swirlies and wedgies were given, like definitely not worshiping me. I need to repent of that after service today. Okay, ladies, in next, in, in next two weeks, we're gonna meet Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she's in the prayer meeting with the early church, Acts chapter one. She's, she's a part of the prayer team. At the end of service, we're gonna have a prayer team. That's where Mother Mary would have been at. And, and she is worshiping Jesus. Now, ladies, you, had, you have had some kids, right? What would you do if your son came home and was like, hey, mom, I'm God. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> yeah, I'm God. And I need you and all of your friends to worship me and to tell everybody that I am sinless and perfect. Now, you know, you would be like, boy, I got tennis elbow from whooping you so many times. Now get in your room. No, but that's not what happened. They, what, what would it take? It would take a miracle. It would take a resurrection. And then some people say, well, you know, maybe that they just invented it. For what? Did they get rich? Did they get notoriety? Did they get famous? No, here's what they got. Murdered. There was no benefit of the making of this story because it all ended in their poverty and in their death. And then Paul says 500 other people. Here's what, I love this one. I love this one. Some people would say, they would literally they'd say this. It was all just a hallucination. Okay, for 40 days. That's some good drugs. <laughs> like, let's, just, let's be honest. We're in church. Raise your hand if you've ever done drugs. Look around the room. Life changed through Jesus, baby. <laughs> That's why you're here, all right? I've done drugs. A lot of drugs. I have even hallucinated many times, but never for 40 days. That's just too much. <laughs> now, for those of you who have done drugs, let's just ask, is it a personal experience or is it a, or do other people experience? No, it's very personal. You ever seen a person on drugs and you're sober? That is awkward, right? 
you're like, oh my gosh. Well, here's what they say. That 500 people for 40 days hallucinated Jesus. Listen, it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does for you to be a Christian. I just can't believe that because the only other thing is that Jesus really resurrected. At this point, some of you say, well, Byron, that's just your opinion. No, I'm not giving you opinions. I want you to go home and look it up. This is evidence. This is verifiable, historical, documented evidence of the resurrection. And you say, well, Byron, that's just your opinion. Listen, you can have your own opinion, but you cannot have your own truth. I want to talk for a moment. There's some of you here, you're skeptics. Listen, skepticism is good. See, skepticism is good. It's it's good to be, there's a healthy form of skepticism where you're leaning in and listening and you're investigating and you're considering the claims that are made. But then there's cynicism. And cynicism is not good because skepticism looks for reasons. Cynicism looks for excuses. And there are some people who the only reason they don't believe is because they don't want to believe. Truth is truth, whether you agree with it or not. It's like gravity. You can deny it, but to your own detriment. Two plus two always equals four. You know, up, up, what goes up must always come down. Truth is always the truth, whether you believe it or not. But to deny the truth is to deny reality. And so get over this moralistic, intellectual superiority that you try to claim. Because if you deny reality, you are not intelligent. You're insane. To deny reality is to deny truth. And you can have your own opinion, but you cannot have your own truth because Christianity is a faith that is evidenced by facts. See, people come and they'll say, well, well, the reason I'm not a Christian is because of fill in the blank. They want to fill in the blank. They want to sidestep the conversation of the resurrection. Well, the reason I'm not a Christian is because, well, of, of, of social justice issues. The reason I'm not a Christian is because of sexuality. The reason I'm not a Christian is because of what the Bible teaches about gender. Uh, the reason why I'm not a Christian is because of the Big Bang Theory or because of science. Here's all the reasons why I'm not a Christian. And I say, that's great. We can talk about that later. What do you think about the resurrection? What do you think about the resurrection? Oh, well, no, I, I, what I, I'm trying to talk about this. Quit changing the subject. Let's bring it back to the resurrection. Because everything hinges on the resurrection. And once we get to the resurrection, we can figure the rest out. There's some things you will only understand on the other side of the empty tomb. And until we get to the other side of the tomb, you're not going to be able to understand. But we got to get to this fact right now. Did Jesus rise from the grave? So don't change the subject. Get in a small group and we'll talk about those other things. But you have to figure out what you're going to do with this claim that for 40 days, he convinced them with many proofs about the resurrection. And then he comes and speaks on the kingdom of God. I believe in Jesus because I believe, number one, Jesus really lived. Number two, I believe Jesus really died. Number three, I believe Jesus was really buried. Number four, I believe Jesus really resurrected. But number five, Jesus really changes lives. There's something known as circumstantial evidence. This is cause and effect. Every action has a reaction. What is the reaction to the resurrection? Well, what we see is this. The disciples, they go from being 
just a small handful of people in an upper room, fearful and afraid and scared of their lives to becoming courageous, mighty men and women of God who changed the world. Cause, effect. What started with just one man has grown into a movement of 3.3 billion people on the planet, every tribe, tongue, and nation on this Easter Sunday, shouting at the top of their lungs, singing, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Cause, effect. How do you explain that? that the Roman Empire has risen and fallen, but the kingdom of God remains. That emperors have come and gone, but the king of kings is still on the throne. That philosophies and trends and ideologies have come and gone, but the church of Jesus Christ remains. Why? Because Jesus is still changing lives to this day. Listen, Jesus doesn't just want to live in history. He wants to make his home inside your heart. Jesus is not just about what goes on between your ears and in your head, but it's about the heart. And I said in the beginning of the sermon that Christianity is not just human experiences. Maybe I should have said this. It's not less than human experiences, but it is more. It is a historical event but we need to allow Jesus, those of you who are skeptics in the room, you gotta allow Jesus off of the history books and into your heart. To accept and to believe and to put your trust in him. Listen, Christianity is good news. You know why? Because it's true news. And you can build your life on truth. You can trust in truth. You can hope in truth. You can have faith in truth. You can have confidence in truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the life, and the truth. And nobody comes to the Father but by me. And when you do, he will change your life forever. Here's what the book of Romans says. Romans says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. When you give your life to Jesus, you will experience his love and compassion and kindness and grace today the way that I did 17 years ago on that Sunday. He will come into your heart and he will change you forevermore. He will give you a new heart with a new life, with a new nature, with a new identity, with a new destiny, where the old is gone and the new has come. Jesus will change your life forevermore. And so today there are people in this room just like I was 17 plus years ago on the day I gave my life to Christ as well. And I'm asking you this, what do you say about Jesus? Because on judgment day, when we all stand before the Lord, God will not look at your resume and say, this is where you worked and this is your marriage and here's how you raised your kids and here's these things. And he goes through the list of your college accolades and your education and all of your hobbies and lists and all the good deeds that you've done. No, here's the question he will ask, what did you do with Jesus? In the end, that's the only thing that matters. And today that is the only question that matters is what are you going to do with Jesus? Here's what Jesus did. Jesus died for you. 
Some people might wonder, okay, Byron, what does this all have to do with me 2,000 years ago? It has everything to do with you. You're the whole reason he came in the first place. He came because he loves you, because he wants to forgive you, because he died in your place for your sins so that way you can have a relationship with him. It's, it's all because of you. He died for you. He rose for you. He lived for you. He's coming again. Will you be there on that day?